Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. For our new listeners, welcome. To our old listeners, welcome back. Another episode of Magical Education awaits you. But first, we would like to say a few words. Nitwit, blubber, oddment, tweak. Podcast nine and three quarters topic of the week is how much of a hassle is it to read and write books in the magical world? Hey there listeners, I'm Jem, and I think it's a pretty big hassle to be honest. <laughs> I'm Ria, and no hassle could compare to just doing the research for this episode. (laughs) Yeah, true. That's very true. Uh, So I pitched this one because I like books and publishing, and that's my area of interest and where my career is, and it's something Mm -hmm. that I want to talk about in relation to Harry Potter for a while. And oh my god, I did not know how much of a nightmare I was setting us up for. (laughs) Yeah. It was completely impossible to do any research for this because obviously as soon as you go to google and type in harry potter and books it only <laughs> gives you information about the harry potter books mm-hmm. written by jk rowling yeah <laughs> uh, trying to find anything on like books in universe and authors in universe and the publishing world in universe was a nightmare and i have very little to go off so this is going to be a big speculation episode yeah the only thing i could find was the list of books and titles that are referenced in universe which i'm like this isn't useful to me and so i basically (laughs) just based my entire arguments off what i could remember from the series and what i could remember from the movies and basically my thoughts on that yeah um (laughs) (laughs) we'll talk about like what we can find and what we have found and then i think we're going to be rounding up this episode with me saying the things that I learned while studying for my <laughs> master's degree in publishing and us trying to see if they fit into <laughs> the magical contest. Cool. <laughs> cool. Great episode. Well advised. Glad we didn't decide against this one. <laughs> um, so I guess I have a question. Should I just ask questions to you and let's see if yeah, you know the Yeah, let's answer. see if that goes well. Alright, so... Are all the books, like the physical novellas, written in quill and ink, like fucking handwriting? Is that what I, is that what it is? Because it seems like that's what it is. Oh my god. An amazing question right off the bat. <sighs> I've got to think that most of the older books, yes. Mm-hmm. Like everything from more than even a hundred years ago, yes, absolutely. All written in quill and ink. Because the thing is, hmm. Except for the Half-Blood Prince's advanced potion making, that's got typed information. Yes, so that, it does. And then the scribbles in it. But when I'm but looking at, I don't at, like, think that was more than a hundred years old. No, no. When I'm looking at, like, the books that they're reading, like, about Nicholas Flamel, that's fucking written, handwritten books. Like, and yeah. I'm wondering how many books are like that in the library at Hogwarts. And I've got to even think most. Just in the bookshop at Flourish and Blots. Like, mm. what the fuck? Ew. So we're we're leaping right into the deep end straight away. Because... <laughs> As <laughs> so usual. the reason why the printing press revolutionised the muggle world, our world, yep. is because before that, as you've said, all books were handwritten. And they had to be... To make a copy of a book, you had to literally copy it out, word by word, mm-hmm. in hand. And it took a fucking long time. And most people couldn't read or write. It was like a luxury for the nobilities. And there were monks who their entire lives, all they ever did was copy out books and make these gorgeous illustrated manuscripts of stuff. So it was very much like... like a dream. Yeah. Well, not not the worst life to live, definitely. No. But yeah, the idea of having an entire book 
like full of knowledge was something that was very exclusive to the higher classes because first of all lower classes couldn't really read or write any more than was functional or necessary and like mm-hmm. the amount of time and effort that went into producing something like that who can afford it yeah exactly yeah the printing press changed everything because suddenly you could write a book once um copy it out onto like a big mechanical printing press basically and then you could churn out hundreds of them very very quickly and very very cheaply and efficiently and then you could distribute books to the masses and that changed everything Mm -hmm. yeah the only other device that has shaken up the way that we communicate with each other on the same level as the printing press is the smartphone they are like two massive turning points for communication technology and information technology yeah, in terms of, like, greatest inventions of all time, it's, like, sliced bread, printing press, birth <laughs> control. Like, there's oh, nothing yeah. that tops those three inventions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so where was I going with that? I can't remember. Oh, yeah. So our book's um, handwritten. So the thing is, I was thinking about um, the publishing world in Harry Potter as having to be quite similar to our world, but the way that what you just said has like changed my mind in the moment because of course they don't need a fucking printing press. What you can do is write out a book once by hand and then copy it a hundred times with magic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We know that copies made by magic deteriorate over time, but so do books in general. Like, you know, the covers fall off the pages rip. It's what happens. But my, my question is like, because there are printing presses. Because that's how the Daily Prophet and the Quibbler are printed. We see it happening in Xenophilius' house. He has a printing yes. press going. Oh, thank God, you've saved me. Yes, we do <laughs> see it happen. It literally so, happens in the series. Oh, thank God, there are printing presses. <laughs> so why the fuck do these old textbooks with handwritten fucking, like, actual handwritten copies, are you telling me those are the original copies? Like, what the fuck? Why, why are they existing? Why are they still there? <laughs> they, they can't be. Because they're in the Hogwarts library, which is a school library. You don't give ancient manuscripts that are priceless to fucking children to get their grubby little fingers all over. Okay. But it is the only educational institution in that part of the Wizarding World, and there are no other libraries in that part of the Wizarding World. So maybe it is cool to do that. Maybe. But then if that was the case academics from all over the world would have to be coming to Hogwarts to access those texts on the reg. I mean, not if they've been copied. Like, if the original is in Hogwarts right. and then the printing press versions are distributed, are yeah. in the main distribution. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We just don't know. <laughs> this episode's going to be infuriating. <laughs> I apologise in advance, listeners. <laughs> There's got yeah. to be other libraries like... than the Hogwarts library. You're right. I mean, you'd hope but so. They're, you'd hope they're, so. They're probably... Oh, not that we know of. There is not, like, a centralised public library that's like a library of Alexandria with all of the Wizarding World's knowledge in it. There should be. Should there? Because then that's open to being burnt down. <laughs> like the Library of Alexandria. <laughs> I think there should be many places of reading and learning and education. <laughs> yes. Obviously. <laughs> I, I said one because the wizarding community is so much smaller. Like, they have one school, one hospital, one government. Like, yeah. One bookstore. Hermione has to fucking write an order to Flourish and Blots <laughs> to get sent to Hogsmeade, and then she picks it up from the fucking post office. It's like, God, can't there just be another bookshop in Hogsmeade? It's right next to the school. You'd think they'd have a Flourish and Blots outlet there. Oh, my textbook broke. I better go fucking get my owl. Just walk down the road. Like, yeah. <laughs> God. It's it's baffling. There is a there is a there's a joke shop. <laughs> there's not a bookstore. It's right next to a school. <laughs> what if you run out of parchment and ink and quills, <laughs> and you Why can't I write know? an order to flourish and blots? <laughs> it's madness. Oh, everything's madness. <laughs> Speaking of quill and ink. So, not just writing, like, whole whole books in Quill and Ink. That sucks. Reading it sucks more. Yeah. (laughs) Because, like, ink smudges, it fades over time. Reading people's handwriting, like, I have a job where I have to read people's handwriting, like, 
Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's very easy, thank God. Other times it's like, that's just nothing. That's not even a letter. That's <laughs> yeah. And it's like, this sucks. And, I'm, and I don't have a learning difficulty or anything like that. I don't have bad eyesight. Like, mm-hmm. imagine, imagine what it's like to just fucking trying to be learning about trolls and you're just reading this awful, awful script. It's just, it sounds like a nightmare. I used to work in medical records and not part of my job, but part of like the job in the department was deciphering what doctors and nurses had written in the medical records and transcribing it into our electronic copies. Mm-hmm. And that was like something that the whole department got on because sometimes you were like, this is indecipherable gibberish. We can't figure it out. Everybody have a read of it and see if we can piece it together. <laughs> handwriting is a nightmare. I can't imagine trying to like be studying for my test and having to read handwriting of someone who lived and died a thousand years ago. Yeah. But is the most current up-to-date source on some magical bullshit because that's what the Wizarding World's like. <laughs> yep. Okay. Yep. We gotta get back on track because we've <laughs> we've ha- we haven't had any structure this episode. I split up my thoughts into reading books, writing books, and then publishing, which I couldn't find anything on, but we'll get to okay. publishing later. I didn't have any structure to my notes. So okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> so what, like, sparked this for me, the idea of how much of a hassle is it to read books in Harry Potter, is two books that <laughs> I mentioned in the third book. This is going to be a confusing conversation. I think conversation. I know which ones you're talking about. Is it yeah. the Invisible Book and the Visibility and the Monster Book of Monsters? Yes, it is. <laughs> so Harry gets that Monster Book of Monsters and then he goes to Flourish and Blots and he's like, oh, thank God, they're selling these. Hagrid didn't send me this living book that attacked me <laughs> because he's harboring a monster. It's a textbook. First of all, that's insane. Yeah. <laughs> Everything about that's insane. We'll talk about that. But then he goes into the store and has a baffling interaction with the bookseller. And then he, the bookseller says something like, this is worse than when we ordered a hundred copies of the Invisible Book of Invisibility. We never found the damn things. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't you just throw sand around if we found it? Like, that's my first thought. Why was it so dumb? Why? No book of Invisibility. <laughs> Why, Why is it invisible in the first place? Why would a book be invisible? <laughs> <laughs> Books are designed to be viewed. <laughs> Sorry, I'm crying laughing. <laughs> unless unless it's like one of those books that because there is a book that screams when you try and read it yeah so we're talking about like, that as well maybe that's like a book that's gone insane maybe the invisible books of invisibility it's like you scramble around you find this book you open it and a voice starts going chapter one invisible or visible and then starts reading out the actual text oh like my an god audiobook. it's an audiobook <laughs> well i love that accessibility <laughs> but you can't find it <laughs> you gotta you gotta feel around <laughs> what <laughs> sorry there's gonna be a lot of giggling in this episode because the whole concept is so silly yeah the thing about the invisible book of invisibility is no the thing about the monster book of monsters is that it's a gimmick Once you understand how to open and read the Monster Book of Monsters, it is a functional book. Yeah. The Invisible Book of Invisibility is not a functional book. (laughs) And the way that I know that is because the bookseller couldn't find it. If it was just a gimmick, if you, like, if you, the book, like, looks invisible or goes invisible or some stupid thing like that, which is insane, and then you find it and you pick it up and you start reading and it's a normal book... That would be annoying, but fine. Yeah. But the fact that the bookseller lost an entire order of these books and could not sell them, <laughs> it's not a gimmick. The book is invisible. <laughs> yep. And apparently <laughs> intangible. What if it's like The Emperor's New Clothes, where the author was like, oh yeah, I wrote a book. It's so good. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's going to be great. Everyone's going to love it. And they just send an empty crate to Flourish and Blots and get their fucking galleons and scamper away into the night. That's what I would do. 
I that would make more sense than anything. The Emperor's <laughs> new clothes of books, at least, is a rational explanation for what happened. <laughs> but like, I don't have that much faith because while I was researching Flourish and Blots, I also found something that said that Flourish and Blots had to close once for like a period of months because they lost an entire shipment of disappearing ink. <laughs> <laughs> and all the staff had to look for it. What? <laughs> I hate wizards. <laughs> why do they? Why don't just use regular ink while they're looking for their disappearing ink, and then they can still function as a functional store? Uh, like what? Why? It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense, Maria. It doesn't no. make any sense. <laughs> no, it doesn't make any sense, Jim. It just doesn't. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Monster Book of Monsters. I've got to think that the person who wrote it had to be like Hagrid. You've got to be the kind of person who loves monsters and who thinks it's funny and good when you are attacked by an animal. (laughs) The Steve Irwin of authors. (laughs) Yeah. Someone with Steve Irwin energy wrote this book and is like, to learn about monsters, wouldn't it be good if the book itself was monstrous? (laughs) And then you had to learn how to treat it gently and stroke its spine and blah, blah, blah. And it's a great, like, it's a metaphor. Actually, the Monster Book of Monsters is good. I've come around on the Monster Book of Monsters. <laughs> now that you put it that way, it's good. I like it. I... <laughs> the best education is practical education. <laughs> it's a practical education tool. Uh, maybe. I just can't see myself. Like, the book actively attacks you (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's not like it's just territorial or only hostile if you're hostile towards it or anything like that it actively attacks you i can't imagine using it as a practical learning tool (laughs) but the thing is like even though it actively attacks you it doesn't it can't like actually hurt you like everyone showed up to class with the books like tied together with like belts and cords and stuff like that like no one was missing fingers even Neville Longbottom who's like notoriously clumsy and bad at magic managed to get his book wrapped up and all this sort of stuff so it's like a learning tool it's not dangerous you know I guess and it is a textbook I don't know how we've turned around in the monster book of monsters (laughs) I just think it's cute (laughs) I guess Um, so yeah once I the premise of this episode basically was going to be the invisible book of invisibility the monster book of monsters how uncommon are these in the magical world are there lots of books that are just a massive hassle and very annoying and i was thinking about the description of flourish and blots from philosopher's stone which i'll read out now they bought harry's school books in a shop called flourish and blots where the shelves were stacked to the ceiling with books as large as paving stones and bound in leather Books the size of postage stamps in covers of silk. Books full of peculiar symbols and a few books with nothing in them at all. <laughs> why Why is this bookstore a nightmare? <laughs> Look, it sounds great. I would love to go. <laughs> I would love but to go. Why are the books the size of postage stamps? I have problems with that. Well, maybe they're not for you, bitch. Okay. <laughs> why are you judging? <laughs> maybe they're for fairies and stuff. <laughs> You fucking got me. Maybe they are the fairies. <laughs> Maybe it's the book of shrinking magic and it's like, oh, you got to unshrink it to read it. <laughs> the tiny book of being too fucking tiny. Yeah. It's a book for ants. <laughs> got me. Uh, the or like book. an actual travel size book. You know how like... Yeah. When you're at the airport and they're like, oh, take these books on your travel journey. And it's like, sometimes that is too big. It's like, no. Mm-hmm. Like, the Penguin classics tend to be able to fit in most things. But I want a book that fits in my pocket. Yeah. Like, well, that's the function yeah. of the Penguin classics. The Penguin classics, which, for anyone, you've probably seen them. They're like, they've got orange on the bottom and the top. And they're just a bunch of classic books that are printed in really lightweight, really small sizes. They're designed that you pick them up very cheaply at the bookstore, read them while you're away, and then don't even take them home. You just give them to someone or leave them somewhere for someone to find. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the idea of, like, small, lightweight books that you can carry around to travel with you is great and brilliant. (laughs) I think a postage stamp is probably too small. But maybe you can post it to someone. It's a gift. (laughs) 
<laughs> you don't have to pay for postage then. It's just in a fucking envelope. <laughs> just put a stamp on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe the postman will think it is a stamp. Like, <laughs> he's like, oh, it's the same size. <laughs> but the postman is an owl. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. They can't read. <laughs> Do they even have stamps in the wizarding world? <laughs> Good question. Well, no, because the, fa- the Weasley family doesn't know how to use them, remember? Because they have all the stamps on the envelope, yes. like a billion stamps, so they don't have them in the Wizarding World. That makes sense, yeah. because you don't have to pay for postage, because all the postmen it's are It's done by animal labour, yeah. <laughs> Everything's free when it's done by animal labour, when you think about it. <laughs> or oh, elf slaves, okay. <laughs> We're off topic. We are off topic. Books as large as paving stones. What is a paving stone? Yeah. How big is that? Like, I'm imagining like a block of cement. Like, oh, like, like when you're walking. Like on the pavement. The yeah, like a paving stone. That's too yeah. big. <laughs> is it? Book too big. For you, bitch. Maybe it's not for giants. <laughs> wow. How did I walk into the exact same trap twice? <laughs> I think it's just like I have a huge ass book yeah no mum and dad have a huge ass book that's a, the big atlas yeah. and we like whenever we have a guest it's like do you want to see our atlas and it's like plonk <laughs> this big like table sized book <laughs> we plonk it down the table it leaves a big thudding noise and they open up <laughs> all the way it's like the size of like a wandering albatross's wingspan and you're just looking at this huge atlas it's great <laughs> God, that's such an incredibly <laughs> accurate description of what it's like to show up to our parents' house. <laughs> yeah. Look at this giant atlas. We're so proud of it. Uh, okay. <laughs> this is just more knowledge of the publishing industry. So usually when books are unusually big, there's a reason for it. Mm-hmm. There's something called coffee table books. Are you familiar with those? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like design stuff. Yeah. And, They're books yeah, that aren't yeah. supposed to be functional. And by functional, I mean you hold them in one hand and read them. Mm-mm. Like most novels and stuff are. They're designed to be displayed on the coffee table. So they're about topics that people are interested in and that look good and they're supposed to be like visually aesthetically pleasing so you leave them out on your table so people look at them they're like oh a book about something blah 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 aren't you so well read or whatever yeah art or travel or cooking yeah Yeah. and they're usually books that have if not majority at least like a lot of images and visual elements and they're not on regular printing paper they're on glossy matte paper with the beautiful color images all the way through so that's why you have large books in the real world. <laughs> Paving stone, too big. <laughs> Maybe for you. <laughs> no, no. Okay. okay, three times too much. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, I just, I do honestly think they're like the big book of engorgement spells or something like that or maybe they're just like (laughs) a lot of information or maybe it's like a really old book from like 1602 and it's like oh all i had was this huge slab of parchment and nothing else so i guess i'll write in really tiny letters and yeah like i don't know yeah parchment that's another (laughs) thing we're gonna have to talk about do you know Mm. what parchment is and what it's made of it's made of like animal skin that's like dead right yeah yeah yeah. it's like it's made of animal skin removed from it yeah. Why? Use paper. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe maybe they're just being more environmentally friendly. Is it environmentally friendly <laughs> to slaughter thousands upon thousands of goats or whatever the fuck? Well, maybe they're magically transfigured animals. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's, it's ethical then. No, I think maybe it's more like literally they don't... Like they just had like some parchment and they just keep copying it with magic. Yeah, that would make sense. For, like, hundreds and hundreds of years. Mm. Like, <laughs> that's how I imagine it. Uh, yeah. Okay, so I mainly just had, like, problems with the big and little books, because that seems ludicrous to me. Books full of peculiar symbols is fine. Harry just doesn't know how to read those languages. 
What up? I'm Harry. I'm 11. Never fucking learned how to read. <laughs> and a few books with nothing in them at all. Those are called notebooks, Harry. You use them to write in. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Although the empty book of empty brain or whatever the fuck. <laughs> Harry needs that. <laughs> So there's also more living books. I would class the Monster Book of Monsters as a living book, an invisible book of invisibility. What if it's only invisible when it wants to be, and like it's a it's an asshole book, asshole book of assholes. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it's only invisible when you look at it. Or like when you're looking for it, like it's like the shrinking keys thing. It's like, oh, where did I put my invisible book of invisibility? And it's like, you'll never find it when you're actively looking for it. But when you're like sort of rummaging through clothes, it's like, oh, oh, that's where it is. There it is now. So you can only read it when you're not trying to. (laughs) Yeah, it's a dick, basically. Uh, it's playing hard to get. (laughs) Emperor's New Clothes is still a better description or explanation, (laughs) I think. There's also the restricted section book that screams at Harry when he opens it and tries to read it. Yeah, pretty good. Yeah, which I think is called Magic Most Evil, but it's spelled like with K's and E's and stuff where they're not supposed to be. So it's like old magic. Yeah. Isn't that the book that in the seventh book, Hermione says that's the book that shows how to do a Horcrux? But in the movie, they must just use that title for the book. Oh, I might just be misremembering. Okay. Yeah. It, okay. It's possible that it doesn't have a name, and I just I just thought Magic Most Evil was it, but I've remembered wrong. There's no way to tell. Do you have? So why do you think it was screaming? Because I'm going to present three options. Yeah, I got two options. So you thought of one extra than I did. <laughs> I'm just going off the top of my head right now. Okay. So a, it was sleeping, and Harry woke it up, and it's like ah. <laughs> Thank you. Go on. Next option. B, it thought, hey, this will be funny. Like, there's this little kid. He's in the dark. He's all alone. Let's scare the shit out of him. Um, Or C, it's an alive, sentient book that hasn't been picked up in years, and so it's gone a little bit cuckoo, and it's like really tortured soul kind of type of book. Okay. So all of your options were like presupposing that it's a book that screams. (laughs) That's great. My theories, I guess, were like to explain why the book is screaming. (laughs) How that came to happen. That's why the first thing you said caught me so off guard. (laughs) So what I thought is... (laughs) Sorry. Uh, maybe the book isn't alive, but it's like an alarm spell that's placed on the restricted section. So whenever anyone oh, okay. goes in there without permission and tries to read a book, the book starts screaming. Okay. Because in the in the books, it doesn't... No, sorry. In the series, is what I should be saying, to be more clear. <laughs> uh, the book doesn't, like, grow a face and scream like it does in the movies. There's just suddenly a loud noise. Right. And he opens the book. Or... The other thing that I thought is, you know how magic makes things alive a little bit over time? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe this book is just full of such powerfully dark magic that it kind of made the book a little bit sentient. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But fuck those answers. It screams because <laughs> Harry broke it up. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> Harry's just being a little bitch, thinks he can pick any book off the shelf. It's nothing. <laughs> Don't disturb it. It's not for you, King. <laughs> Put it back. Oh, God. Uh, I... <laughs> I'm glad we're amusing ourselves. Um, Riddle's Diary. Obviously, that's a Horcrux, but yeah. Judy thought it was that's a regular a book diary. anything in it. <laughs> Sorry, what did you say? That's a book with that no with no words at all. In it. <laughs> Whoa, a, a diary! <laughs> oh, Harry! If only you'd heard of a diary. He went to school. What did he write in? <laughs> he didn't have books. Had to write it on his hand. Yeah. Anyway. So Ginny thought that one of her brothers or somebody else had just given her the diary, and she thought it was. Mm-hmm. Like, a special diary, but 
a possible diary, not an impossible, unexplainable diary. Just like, oh, this is a diary that talks back to you. Talks back. Yeah, yeah. Which makes me think that other diaries in the magical world do similar things, but probably not right. as nuanced, as clever. Like, they're probably not as intelligent as the Riddle Diary. I mean, we have something similar... Like, in, in Muggle World, in real world. Because mm-hmm. I remember it being advertised to me on Saturday Disney television when I was, like, age five to seven. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it was, like, this diary, and you could lock it with your voice. Yeah, I remember that. And it, it also, when you opened it, it said, hey, welcome back, Jim. <laughs> and it would, like, you know, and you'd write down your thoughts in it, and as you close it, you're going to be like, see you next time, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> so kind of like that, but not really. Um, <laughs> Bad. Yeah, I definitely remember those, like, like secret girl time journal or whatever the yeah, fuck it was yeah, called. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that has, like, a voice activation. Very, very cool. I also had... This is just a remembrance. <laughs> I also had a diary that had, like, denim for the cover. Mm-hmm. And it had a pocket on front of it. And it locked with a lock and key. And I always just put the key in the pocket on the front of the diary. Yeah, I remember <laughs> Defeating the purpose of the lock. <laughs> <laughs> kids are so smart (laughs) I didn't want to lose the key then I wouldn't be able to access my diary and read all my incredible thoughts (laughs) all in like pink and purple glitter pan (laughs) amazing yeah yep so (laughs) books that are alive in Harry Potter textbooks, dark magic books diaries of little girls Uh, there's also the book of admittance which is the book at Hogwarts that knows everybody's name mm. who's born with magic. Which is very surveillance state. <laughs> very nice. <sighs> also mystifying. <laughs> <laughs> I guess this book, like the owls, knows the mystical connection between wizards and their names. <laughs> it must. <laughs> but also, like, you'd think... Any parent like Lucius Malfoy is absolutely paying off somebody at Hogwarts, like, as soon as they have a child, to check that the child's name appears in the book, so they know that they're not having a squib baby. Mm, yeah. And I imagine, like, imagine if someone with nefarious intentions got their hands in that book so they could find Muggleborns and kill them off. Like, you know. <clears throat> yeah. Well, apparently, um, at the end of the series, when the Death Eaters were in charge of Hogwarts, they did destroy the book. Huh. Why? And that's why apparently there's supposed to be like a period of time 11 years after the series, but it should have been straight away, where Muggleborns weren't getting their letters on time because the records were destroyed and they had to create a new book of admittance. Oh, okay. Okay. You'd think it would, like, I would keep that if I was a Death Eater. I would keep that so I could hunt down the Muggleborns and kill them off. It seems more reasonable yeah. to me. <laughs> Yeah, look, wizards just aren't very smart. <laughs> like, oh well. Um, yeah, if you hate Muggleborns and you want them all dead, having like a yeah. constantly updating list of all the Muggleborns that are getting born would be a very clever thing to not burn. Yeah, nip it in the bud rather than let them grow up scared and confused and powerful, and then one day they can come get you <laughs> once they figure yeah. something out. <laughs> then you make sure none of them slip through the net. Yeah. Anyway, we would be better Death Eaters than the real <laughs> Death Eaters. <laughs> Gosh. Yeah. The last living book that I want to mention is controversial. Uh, Helena Ravenclaw, the ghost, in the second movie, she's reading a book. So is that a book that died? (laughs) (laughs) It's a ghost book. (laughs) Oh, God. Maybe that's the invisible book and invisibility. They're ghost books. (laughs) Oh, my God. No, because then it would be the ghost book of ghosts. (laughs) Yeah, the ghost book... It will forever torture us. It's like how in the movies you see like a ghost writing a note at some point. Nick reads his letter. <sighs> I maybe it's the only thing I can explain is because when ghosts die, they die with their clothes on them and they keep them clothes. Maybe it was a book that she had on her at her death, like in her pocket or something like that. And so that's why she's able to read it. It's just a copy yeah. of like I don't know, fucking Do you- Pride and Prejudice or something. <laughs> like <laughs> whatever. <laughs> okay, I was about to say then I think it would be pos- impossible for her to not have the book on her person. Like she couldn't take the book out of her pocket no, and couldn't. give it to another ghost. 
But that doesn't make any sense because the Headless Hunt sends a letter to Nick. So the, the letter has to travel. Did a ghost owl carry it? That's what we discussed, yeah. I'm pretty sure that's what we settled on, that the, the dead ghost owl carried the, de- the dead letter to another ghost. But a book can't With be given to another died. ghost. died. <laughs> I don't want to think about ghosts. Fuck this question. Don't Why did I bring it up? <laughs> don't talk about ghosts. Not in this house. <laughs> it's a ghost-free house. So... I think we've settled on, yes, it's a hassle to read books in Harry Potter. Many of them are stupid or needlessly difficult. (laughs) Can I bring up the fact that, like, where's the fiction? Besides, like, Martin the Mad Muggle, which are comic books, there's no, like, fiction books. There's no, like, you know, oh, I'm going to read this, oh, I'm reading this book at the moment about this hungry girl who won't kiss her boyfriend. Like, there's nothing like that in... The Wizarding World. It's just all basically non-fiction. It's, it's wild. Um, I did see a section on the HP Wiki, Category Novels for All Written Novels. Let me have a quick glance through there. They're all muggle novels. They're all things yeah, that they are they're up all... in the series. Yeah. Yeah, The Call Except, of the Wild, Catch-22, Pride and Prejudice. Ex- sorry, there's one exception. Fairy Tales. Beetle the Bard. That's the only exception to the, yeah. fi- non- to the fiction rule. Like... But those are like fables and folk stories that have been written down. Like I want to read basically like romance, drama, science. I don't. They wouldn't have science fiction. But like you know, I want to read fucking fiction stories uh, that take me away from the wizarding world, that give me escapism. But there's not there. Oh, here we go. There's one Cassandra and her cat Gustavus, um, which appears in the Fantastic Beasts Where to Find Them fil- film. Ah, film. Queenie Goldstein has a copy. There we go. That's Maybe it's only in America. the only one I can find. <laughs> Maybe America has fiction, but the UK does not. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to judge which of these titles are real and which of them might be Harry Potter novels. No, I think that's the only one. Mm-hmm. Wild, yeah. So there's no real novels, which is weird. That's so weird. Like, that's why Gilderoy Lockhart, I think, was so popular. Because even though it wasn't fiction, like, you know, he was writing about things that supposedly he had done. They were so fantastical mm-hmm. and possibly well-written that people were like, oh my god, this is, like, the most amazing thing I've ever read. It's like, you're just reading a narrative. Yeah. Like, have you read a narrative before? <laughs> like... <laughs> yeah, that's gotta be it. Like, even Marvin the Mad Muggle, that's not a novel, that's a comic book series. Yeah. It's and it's for children, so it's it very much falls into the category of like storybook, nursery rhyme, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess like, there's no fiction in the Wizarding World, at least not that Molly, we know of. That's why Molly Weasley's downtime is spent reading Witch Weekly, which is just gossip rag. Like, imagine if she had like you know a Mills and Boone novel that she could read or something like that. Like, mm-hmm. that's what she, oh, that's, that's Molly what Weasley I would love is. a Mills and Boone. <laughs> Yeah, sitting in her bubble bath, like, you know, with her Celestina Warbeck playing and she's reading her Mills and Boone, having her downtime. I love that for her. <laughs> yes. Ah, oh, she deserves it. <laughs> she does! <laughs> like, I know wizards live in, like, they already live in a fantasy world, so fantasy might be a hard sell. But, like, even then, you can you can work with that. There might be, like, fantasy genres out there. You could do romance, you could do drama, horror. There could be books about mm-hmm. the muggle world. I would try to introduce muggle books to the wizarding world because fuck, if you want wizards to learn more about muggles, give them books written by muggles. Then Mm -hmm. they can learn about our world without having to fucking look at a toaster in a classroom and expect to understand what it is. Like let them learn about (laughs) electricity by reading fucking, I don't know, a book about an electrical state. I can't think of a book off the top of my head. I don't know. You can't think of a book that features electricity. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah. Hmm. That's a really interesting idea. As like maybe like you're a muggle-born and you're like, okay, so what I'm gonna do with my life is I'm going to adapt muggle books for wizarding audiences and then publish them and sell them as novels. No, that's Gilderoy Lockhart. I just realized. No. <laughs> yeah, that's Gilderoy Lockharding. No, no. I mean, just. But I don't think you could like. Like, start up a bookshop or, like, get a job at Flourish and Blots and be like, hey, 
have an idea. This is a this is like you know twenty four copies of fucking give me a Muggle book title. I don't know. Um, Pride of Prejudice. Twenty four uh, Hunger co- Games. Hunger Games. Twenty four copies of the Hunger Games. Did we just Games. say the exact same book? No, we said very <laughs> different books. <laughs> what um, did you say? <laughs> Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. Oh, okay. <laughs> don't know why I heard that as Hunger Games. Yeah, anyway, here's I've got two dozen copies of Hunger Games. Like, humor me. Let's just put them in the window and see if they sell. Like, we'll explain to people, like, this is a muggle book. It's written by a muggle author. It's for muggle audiences, but maybe you'd like it. It's just about a fantastical world and a different sort of future. And, like, imagine. Imagine the revolution. Like, imagine. People might be coming in Mm. requesting, like, oh, are there any muggle books about cars? I want to know what the cars are. I want to know this. Like, are there any romance things? Like, I don't know. I just think it could be really cool. I think it could be cool and it would be very, very good for wizards to be <laughs> yeah. able to read books about different things and develop maybe the slightest a bit of critical thinking. <laughs> yeah. And empathy. Um, <laughs> empathy. Yes. God, God, you need some empathy. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. Okay. My big fear, my big... Um, reservation I guess is that I don't know that wizards would understand muggle books Mm. and I don't know if that's me overestimating no underestimating wizards for like not being able to understand something as simple as a fictional story or if that's a completely accurate assessment (laughs) and they just wouldn't there's something cool about that because like you know the English teacher says the curtains are blue because the character is depressed but the author says the curtains are blue because Mm -hmm. the curtains are blue like Everyone has their own interpretation of what a book means and what the story is about, but as long as they're not inherently against the meaning of the book, like, it's not wrong. So even if the wizards have a different yeah, yeah. view on what the Hunger Games mean, it, it could still be positive and it could still be a way for them to learn about muggle things. Yeah. I, I'm i not really thinking about that so much. I'm thinking about, like, localizations. So not interpreting the meaning of the book and blah, blah, blah. I mean, like, when a book is localized, it's like when you print a book in a different country, you tend to change specific things about it so that it makes more sense to a local audience, which, like, some people disagree with that entire mm-hmm. concept anyway, blah, blah, blah. Um, it's usually really, really brief things, like just switching out individual words or whatever, or, you know, changing the spelling to the local yeah. um, type of English or whatever. Um what was I saying? Yeah, so basically just dumbing it down for Americans. <laughs> dumbing it down for Americans. Yeah, like, perfect example, <laughs> like, the American localization of Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone is Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, because mm-hmm. they thought Americans wouldn't understand yeah, what yeah, a yeah. philosopher was. <laughs> Get wrecked, yeah. America. Taking out all the, all the, taking out all the U's in every word for Americans, because they hate U's. Yeah. <laughs> Americans hate U's. They don't want U's in their words. <laughs> they really don't. Yeah. So, like... I'm thinking about, like, a magical localization of muggle books. It feels almost impossible because, like, when Sirius Black escapes from jail and they're like, we told muggles that he has a gun, and then they have to write out what a gun is, a kind of wand, a metal wand that muggles use to kill each other. Try to imagine reading The Hunger Games and not understanding what a gun is. (laughs) Yeah. Like, everything else that happens in the Hunger Games. The fact that they have helicopters and... (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Well, I mean, the Hunger Games might be the best example to start with. They can start with something a lot simpler, like... Like... Like like a romance story. So, the setting isn't so much as important as the drama and the tension between the characters. Yeah. A classic romance story, like, I don't know, Princess Bride. Something like that. Um, I think a Princess Bride is even too complicated, because it's got these fantasy elements Mm. maybe something like a pride and prejudice that was set like in an era of muggle life that wizards wouldn't be as confused by there's no electricity or anything complicated like that they have horses and cars (laughs) (laughs) and then like eventually once they've understand what guns and stuff are they can work their way up to something like hunger games where there's a whole new jargon for things like helicopters and they have a whole new word for helicopters. They're like, I don't know, mm. something stupid. Whatever. Um. <laughs> Do you think a wizard would understand something like Game of Thrones? I mean... Like a medieval fantasy? Probably. Yeah. Uh, like, it. yeah. I, I assume so. I don't see why not. Yeah. 
I think they'd be like, you know, the magic and the dragons and stuff like that in this is wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it, I can understand it. Yeah, yeah. And most of the stuff in the book is about, like, politics and, like, the medieval setting would make sense, I feel like, to a wizard. Yeah, yeah. You'd have to start with books that have, like, are easy to access, I suppose, and then you could work your way up from there. Mm, yeah. As far away from the muggle world as you can get... And as close to the wizarding world. That's what you want to do. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't go for any, like, sci-fi or anything like that. Sci-fi is too hard to explain at first. That has to be, like, the last step. Yeah. A, sci- <laughs> like, a sci-fi yeah. is, like, a twist and extension of our muggle technology. Like, you need to understand what's going on right now before you can imagine further. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Start with the fantasy, then move on to period pieces, then... Romance and drama, then horror, then you can work your way up to sci-fi. <laughs> mm. But even fantasy, like, it's got to be fantasy that's like Harry Potter fantasy, where it's grounded in the real world with fantastical elements. I don't think a wizard would understand Lord of the Rings. It would be like, where is this yeah. happening? <laughs> <laughs> Who are these people? Elves? Uh, <laughs> Elves? I mean, it's very hard to... Like, as long as they got muggle, muggle-borns that are like, no, yeah, it's like another... It's just... It's not even our world. It's it's nothing. It's like another... Think of it like another planet. It's like... <laughs> then I guess it could work that way. Cause, Maybe. Like, I can't say that wizards would be able to understand it because there's no evidence to show that wizards have... But actually, no, Marvin the ma- Magical Muggle is just a muggle. So, it, yeah, yeah, there's no evidence that wizards already have these stories that they can be like, oh, yeah, it's a world different to ours. Like, so that they would be able to click the, into that sort of place. It might be like, you know, Galaxy Quest where they are like, oh, this is a real thing that happened. It's like, no, it's not. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm. Anyway, that's something interesting to think about. Something that I want to talk about is the writers of books in The Wizarding World. <laughs> so this is something that I brought Me up too. with you before we did the episode. In an earlier episode, I can't remember exactly which one, you were talking about genetic predeterminism, which is something that I've come back to again and again and again ever since you brought it up, because it's very good. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Do you want to say what that is again, or should we just jump in? Oh, yeah. Basically, everyone's born what they are, and they can't change. Yeah. So if you're ugly and evil... Sorry, if you're evil, you're born ugly, and you're a bad person, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you can't change. Um... I think yeah. this is incredibly interesting when it comes to authors in the Harry Potter world. Mm-hmm. I should just keep saying the Wizarding World in the Wizarding World because so, so many of the authors have names that are puns on the books that they eventually write about. The most classic example yeah. of this is yeah. Newt Scamander, author of Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, and his brother Theseus. So <laughs> one of them is a war hero named after an incredible hero from ancient legend, and one of them is named Newt, and he writes books about animals. <laughs> yep. It's almost like being called Wolfie McWolfface and becoming a werewolf. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Lupin's parents should have known that. <laughs> His name already had Lupine in it. The fact they one... called him Remus, yeah. he basically condemned him to this. <laughs> There's another one that's, like, uh, the writer of, like, Magical Herbs and Funky, I think, is Elpheus Spore. Mm, like, it's close. Just... What I thought <laughs> I could do... Spores will grow. I've got a list of some of the, like, most punny names of authors, and I thought I could read those to you, and you could see if you can guess their subject area. Of course, alright. Okay. <laughs> You'll probably recognise some of these, but some of them you might not. First one, Libatious Borage. Oh. Uh... Libatious. I wish I knew how to read because I don't know what that word means. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, I'm gonna guess. I could tell you the word uh, that it's a pun of, if that might help. Maybe, yeah. Give me, give me a hint. It's a pun of the word libations. Oh, that doesn't help. Um, it means drinking. Dancing? <laughs> drinks. Oh, libations well, are close. drinks. <laughs> okay. Right. All right. I associate it with something jolly and jovial, I guess. I don't know. No, it's potions. Because <laughs> you drink All potions. Right, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll do a few more, and if you fail so successfully, we'll just continue. To, we'll just cut this whole section. <laughs> uh, Mopsy okay. Fleabert. <laughs> oh yeah, that's the um, the writer of the fairy tales. 
Yeah. Anim- no. no. <laughs> Fairy tales. <laughs> no, wait. Mopsy Fleabert. No, no. Never mind. Um, didn't they... <laughs> I honestly don't fucking know. And, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> what is it's it? It's animals because the name has fleas in it, like animals. And Mopsy oh, okay. is like an animal name. Yeah, right. hmm. yeah, it's like a bunny. Yeah. Anyway, next one. <laughs> you are bad at this. <laughs> I'll try and give you a more easy one. Um, uh, Phyllida spore. Obviously, yeah. Plants and stuff. Yeah. Magical and fungi. Yeah. Um, Selena Sapworthy. Sapworthy. Trees. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Also herbology. Good thought. Yep. <laughs> uh, Greta Catchlove, also known as Greta Curd. Uh, something to do with baking or potions? Yep. Charm your own cheese. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Which is wild because her real name is Greta Curd, as in like curds and cheese and stuff. Yeah. And then yeah. she changed her name to Love and she wrote a book about like being charming and charming cheese. Interesting. <laughs> so she had to change Arsonist. her name to write the book like that? Yeah, she she came up with a, um, what's it called? Pen name. But the pen name was like less about the, the subject area than her real name, which is so weird. Yeah. I always thought that, that they were pen names, to be honest. Yeah, pen names would have made more sense. But then you have Newt Scamander, whose name is Lizard Lizard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Alright, give me one more. See if I can guess it. Um, give me a hard one. Vindictus, Vindictus Viridian. Uh, truth Serum. No, but close. Uh, it's Vindictus like Vindictive, and he wrote Curses and Countercurses, bewitch your oh. friends and befuddle your enemies with the latest revenges, hair loss, jelly legs, tongue tying, and much, much more. Okay. Mm. Why do I think Vindictus... Vindictus... Vindic- why that kind of fucking talk? Um, vindication. <laughs> For some reason, I thought that meant truth. Never mind. Anyway, You're close. Um, <laughs> I'm not literate, guys. <laughs> <laughs> you were probably thinking of something. You were thinking of like veritas or veritas, veritas, which is based yeah, on yeah. verity, which means truth in Latin. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Anyway, you sucked at that game. <laughs> what? I'm Gem. I'm 19. I never fucking learned how to read. <laughs> yeah. But the point is, a lot of the authors have names that are very, very punny. Like, I'll read some ones that I didn't read to you. Um, Arsonist Jigger, potions like arson. Uh, mm. Me- Galet- Galetta Merrythought, defense against the dark arts. Gotta think nice to defeat those dark arts. I guess so. Wilbert Slinkhard wrote magical defensive magical theory, which is all about, you know, avoiding a fight. Yes, so slinking, slinking away. Yeah. Uh, Emmerich Switch, Transfiguration, Quentin yeah. Tremble, Defense uh, Defense Against the Dark Arts, because don't Scary. those make you tremble? Yeah. And Aldebert Waffling, who wrote The Fundamental Laws Rings. of Magic and Magical Theory, because obviously this guy just waffles on and on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just think this is insane and very, it's just so <laughs> weird. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. So, like, it's just my name's Jem Cauldron, okay? Jem Cauldron. Mm-hmm. My name is Jem Cauldron. I want to write a book about uh, dragons. I just—that's my. I've studied for years dragons. It's. I'm a dragonologist. I went mm-hmm. to the Dragon University in Romania. I write about my paper. I submit my book. There's no editors. Never mind. Why am I saying this? There's no editors in the Wizarding World, so it wouldn't be a problem. <laughs> I could just fucking self-publish. Under yep. Gem Cauldron, I guess. But would my book sell? Unless my name was, like, Gem Tooth or something? Like, <laughs> would I have to use a different moniker every book I sold? The idea that they're pen names is incredible, and I wish it was true, but it's not. Because people like, um, well, first of all, New Scamander, who we know. Uh, Galata mm. Merrythought is a Hogwarts professor. Actually, quite a few of the authors are Hogwarts professors, and we know their <laughs> real names because they were professors. Yes. <laughs> and I also as you just said your name is Jen Cauldron I did realise something most of our family are like nurses or work in healthcare 
And one of the meanings of our last name has to do with healing and being a healer. And that's a really weird coincidence (laughs) that I haven't clocked until this exact moment. It is. But we are both fighting our genetic (laughs) predeterminism. We've gone against our last name. (laughs) Neither of us work in medicine. (laughs) No, because we're Mm. bad at caring for people. (laughs) (laughs) Uh. Cell phone. (laughs) I guess the last point I had here is that there are no editors or publishers in the Wizarding World, right? Like, there doesn't seem to be. The fact that Gilroy Lockhart was able to do what he did, there... read a Skeeter, like, yeah. it doesn't seem like there's anyone checking anything. I don't think there are editors in the book world, definitely not. I know there are editors in, like, the Daily Prophet. Barnabas Cuff. Um, like, yeah. In the, mm. like, news, print, journalism, which weekly, daily profit, in that realm of publishing, there are editors. But mm. that's a different kind of role than an editor of a book. Yeah. An editor of a newspaper is someone who is, like, assembling the newspaper and deciding... What goes in the front page. What's being written about, yeah, kind yeah, of. Yeah. yeah, and, like, arranging things. Um, like, running the show, basically. An editor of a book is different, but the kind of editing that you're thinking about is like literally going through the book word by word and making sure everything's correct mm-hmm. and good. Is that what I'm saying? Is that what you're thinking of? Like a copy editor. Yeah, like a copy editor. Like the thing that I do for a living. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's absolutely no evidence that such a person <laughs> exists in the context of the wizarding world. If yeah. they did, you would have to think that Gilderoy Lockhart would have come under suspicion earlier. And someone like Rita Skeeter, who wrote her book about Albus, uh, Albus Dumbledore, and like admits in the book that she used Veritas Serum on, on like Bethel the Bagshot to get the information that she did from her. It's like that's a crime. <laughs> like, yeah. If an editor saw that, I don't know if she said that in the book. She, I mean, it's heavily implied. I'm pretty sure in the book it was stated that like she, with a few tricks of my own, I managed to get Bethilda to talk and keep talking or something like that. No, yeah, yeah it's God. like that's very clearly hinting. It wouldn't surprise me. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah, Rita Skid is not very intelligent, but nobody is. So, can you judge her? <laughs> yep. Yeah, I've got to think that there's no editors, and that makes me think that. There's no publishers, but then where are the books coming from? Self-published, baby. <laughs> Print it up yourself. I guess everything's self-published. Make a thousand copies with your magic. Bring them to a bookstore. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you've got a magical printing press like Xenophilius Lovegood does, mm-hmm. that's kind of really, really easy. Mm-hmm. Anyone could just write a book and then publish it. Same as, like, the internet lets us do. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. <laughs> well, I guess that's it. <laughs> that's what I always assume. So we've come to the publishing section. Yeah. <laughs> I guess there's just no publishing industry in the Wizarding World, which is distressing to think about. Do you have any more questions about publishing that I could try to answer? Because I don't have any notes to draw off. Uh, not really. I always just assume that wizards did it themselves. <laughs> yeah, I guess they do. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry, listeners. It was impossible to find any information on publishing in the context of the Wizarding World. I just couldn't find anything. If you find anything, all I could find send it to us. Yeah. <laughs> I would love to know more. All I could find was in the context of the Daily Prophet and Witch Weekly, which isn't really the topic of this. We'll talk about that when we talk about like news, print, and stuff in the Wizarding World. Mm. Um, and obviously, like the information that there is about the booksellers at Flourish and Blots. There's no information on where they get their books from. you got to assume directly from authors, right? Yeah. If there's no publishing companies. Maybe they request it from authors? Like, being, like an author as being a job. Like, so they're like, hey, mm-hmm. author, you know, Newt Scamander, give us another book on Fantastic Beasts in two years and then send it to Flourish and Blots and come do the book signing. Like, that's in the movie, right? Like, <laughs> that's what he does. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Doesn't he actually... Hang on, I, I forgot about the Fantastic Beast movie. Doesn't he talk about having a publisher? I don't remember. I really don't. I've blocked that movie from memory. Neither do I. Yeah. I've only seen that movie in cinemas. <laughs> so, I don't remember them very well. <laughs> I forced Josh and Sarah to watch mm-hmm. it on Netflix. We weren't paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> Good times. <laughs> it's really great. 
I genuinely forgot about that. Hmm. Yeah. Doesn't... I thought... Hmm. Doesn't he talk about a publisher? Like, I got the the impression that, like, he approached a publisher with the idea for a book, and then the publisher funded his trip around the world to research Fantastic Beasts and where to find them, Hmm. and then he wrote the book for them. I... Which is something that totally... Is possible. I never had that idea. I always thought that he was just doing it himself because he wanted to write a book for the good of wizard kind. Hmm. Okay. Maybe. And he was funding himself because he probably comes from a rich family. Yeah. Maybe I've formulated <laughs> that opinion because that's something that happens in the real publishing world. Publishers approach people. That's something that makes logical sense. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so publishers will approach someone like um. All I all I can think of is a football athlete, which is like <laughs> I don't know. That's the best I can think of. Someone that they know has got a story. Can't name one football athlete. <laughs> I can't <laughs> name a single football athlete. Is that what they're called? Are they called footballers? <laughs> that doesn't feel like a real I have no goal. idea. Yeah, real word. Um, so publishers will approach people that they know have like public the public interest and a story to tell and they'll be like hey write your biography or more likely in the case of a football athlete hey we will pay a ghostwriter to write your biography for you and then they'll give them an advance and time to write the book and then they'll publish the book once it's done Mm -hmm. so most books don't come from authors who have like i set aside a bunch of my personal time and effort to write a book they come from publishers seeking out people who would probably write good books and being like, we'll give you money to write a book. Mm-hmm. So I guess I assumed that's what was happening. But we just don't know. So this line of in- inquiry is going nowhere. <laughs> um, I don't have anything else to say about books and reading books. I guess I just wanted to emphasize that, like, it's it sucks that, like, with the handwritten books, it's not really accessible, um, whether you're reading it or writing it. I think that... Little books are great. Big books are great. I think that the potential for the Screaming <laughs> Book to be a book that's like an audio book where you open it and it reads to you, I think that that's got a lot of potential. That could be really cool if, like, you want some background noise while that's you're, like, cool. you know, doing your nails or whatever. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> or, you know, you aren't... When you're transcribing a manuscript by hand, as wizards have to do. Or, yeah, or if you're just visually impaired, like, you know, um, you can just have this audiobook mm-hmm. experience... Uh, I think there's, like, I think the name thing sucks. Like, it really sucks that, like, yeah, if you were an expert in a particular field, but your name doesn't match, then (laughs) your book's not going to (laughs) sell. I guess books just aren't your medium. Probably. (laughs) Yeah, I guess you're just doomed to become a, I don't know, expert, but not an author, which is weird. Unless you change your name, Unless. Hmm. Unless you change your name, as Greta Curd did, but she still never escaped the curse of having to write about cheese because her name was Curd. Also, why didn't she write the cheese book of cheese where you can eat it? (laughs) Why didn't she? (laughs) We'll never know. (laughs) But here's a thought. Maybe Newt Scamander's parents were very pro-animal, but neither of them had an animal first name. So they're like, well, we've got to name one of our children an animal so he can write the animal book we've always dreamed of. (laughs) I mean, maybe it is like that. You know, you give your kid a, a, an authory name and you're like, here you go. Here's where you're writing utensils from like a young age. And you're like whispering their ear as they're sleeping. Like, write chapter three to open with this sentence and all this sort of stuff. Like, maybe it's like conditioning. Helicopter parenting <laughs> to raise author babies. <laughs> God, I wish that were me. I wish I'd been conditioned to be an author. <laughs> Will we not? Is that not what our childhood was? I'm conditioned. I wish I could hypnotically write a book. (laughs) (laughs) Then I wouldn't have to stare at an empty screen for so long. I wish I could do, like, whip out a book, like, in fucking Tommy Knockers, where she types it out in two days. Like, (laughs) under a hypnotic trance. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yes. To have the Tommy Knockers disease. (laughs) So good. (laughs) I guess for my final... Like, closing remarks. While we're on something that is even briefly close to the topic, don't buy books from Amazon. Yes. 
Amazon is destroying the publishing industry as it is destroying all industries. Jeff Bezos is a fuck and he can suck my dick. (laughs) Never, ever, 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 ever buy books from Amazon, including many of the many booksellers that Amazon secretly owns. What about... Always buy books from locally owned booksellers. What about uh, Book Depository? Um, Book Depository, I think, is secretly owned by Amazon. Alright. Well, yeah, I rarely buy books online anyway. Yeah, there's two major online book retailers in Australia. One of them is Book Depository and the other one is Booktopia. Mm. One of them secretly owned by Amazon and I think it's Book Depository. I think Booktopia is the Australian-owned bookstore. Might be. So use that one. Like, yeah, Book Depository is free shipping so it would seem like an Amazon thing. Yeah, that's Amazon. Fuck them. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Pay for shipping. I will not... (laughs) buy any books of them anymore <laughs> I usually buy my books physically anyway but unless it's like it can't be found in a store or can't be ordered in then I do go online but that's only been once in my life so I will never that's fine Amazon. ordering books from online is fine mm. many local booksellers will like have online stores that they let you buy books from and they ship books directly to you that's good and fine just don't buy it from Amazon if you're buying a book Type in the name of the place you're buying the book from and write, is it secretly owned by Amazon into Google? (laughs) Don't buy books from there. (laughs) Amazon will literally destroy the publishing industry and then there'll be no more books. Yeah. Because they're not going to publish their own books because their entire publishing industry is self... People publish... ah, People, like, write books and then, like, publish ebook versions and then if it gets popular, they make a print version and sell it. Oh, and that is going to flood the market and destroy everything. <laughs> yep. Not that self-published books are bad, but many, many, many of them are bad. <laughs> the best self-published book is My Dad Wrote a Porno. <laughs> and I'll die on that hill. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> self-published books can be great. The Martian is a self-published book. Really? But they can also be terrible. <laughs> yeah. There we go. Yeah. And that's my final thoughts on this. <laughs> yeah. As two, as two girls who love books, like, that's why I have, like, our, our Instagram thing, like, what are we reading lately? Like, it's it's an important topic to discuss, and, and I, I, I did like this discussion, even though it was kind of patchy because we didn't know what we were talking about most of the time. But I think we had a good time. <laughs> we were so determined to have this conversation that we went ahead with it, even when we realized we had nothing to draw on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been Jem. And I'm bringing the Hunger Games to the Wizarding World. Fuck it. They can deal I, with it. I've been Rhea. Never <laughs> buy books from Amazon. Thanks for listening. If you want to support us or get in touch, the links to our social media and Patreon are in the show notes. Please feel free to send us so many messages that we go mad and run away to a hut on a rock in the middle of the sea just to avoid them. You'll hear from us again in two weeks' time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.